You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. throughout the church they believe in God they believe in Jesus they don't doubt Jesus came he died he was buried three days later he rose again they they believe the fundamentals of the faith but they are not saved they're not saved we're going to be shocked when we get to heaven and go well we're so and so we're not here why are they not here Only God is the judge. We're not the judge, but the the Bible tells us that there's going to be some surprises. Thinking the Bible may be right or showing up to church from time to time won't gain you salvation. Salvation can only be gained by asking that Jesus comes into your heart and reside as your king. Today, Pastor Danny challenges you to be certain of your salvation. He challenges you that bringing Jesus into your heart is simple, but nonetheless necessary. Don't hesitate on your invitation to Christ. Ask Him to be your Savior and to reside in your heart. Let Him be a central part of your life. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel chapter 4 as he continues his message, The Evil of Pride. Excavations have shown that the king's palace was enormous, surrounded by a series of thickly fortified walls. Some writings say that the walls were so thick around Neb's palace that chariots, two chariots, could pass one another side by side, while most of the populace lived in one-story mud brick houses. He lived for himself. So Daniel's advice, if you'll repent, That's my advice. That's the best thing he could do. Verse 28. All this happened, what was prophesied to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, please stop there. I underline that. That's very important. You got to stop and sometimes just think about these things. Twelve months later. Twelve months after Daniel's advice. So he didn't take Daniel's advice. Twelve months later. Twelve months later. As the king was walking On the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he's out on the balcony. He said, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He didn't take Daniel's advice. Verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. I wish I could do the voice, but I don't know what the voice sounded like. I don't know if God's using an angel. I don't know if it's the Father speaking. I don't know. I can imagine it, you know, going something like, this is what is decreed for you. I don't know how it sounded, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you, when a voice comes from heaven, you stop, you listen. And the voice spoke, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people. We'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone who wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. So God speaks, and it happens. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. The dude is a freak. He's like some human monster living in the woods. You run from him. Now, watch out. Halloween was every day when Neb was like this. Kids, come in. The guy goes nuts. And he's like that for seven years. Seven years. <laughs> but I love verse 34. At the end of that time, seven years later, seven years later, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Like the prodigal story in the New Testament where the prodigal son went off, took his inheritance early and squandered in wild living. And we don't know how long, but it was no doubt years. He ended up in a pig pen. The Bible tells us that when he's in the pig pen, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He took a pig pen, but he came to his senses. Looked up to heaven, began to pray. That's what happens to Neb here. I raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases. With the powers of heaven, the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor will return to me for the glory of my kingdom. What a gracious God. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. What a gracious God. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just. Don't miss the last line. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. It doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much money you got. Doesn't matter how powerful you are. Doesn't matter. He, he's able to humble. Here's the first question. What was Neb's problem? I'll give you a clue. It's the last line I just read in the chapter. Here it is. Here's his problem. It's pride. Now, I know there may be other similar definitions, but I've given you a pretty thick one. I've given you a thick definition of pride. I want you to say it with me and think about it. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. An unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office. Pride. I have another question. Why was Neb so proud? And I have one word answer for that one. You know what it is? Success. I don't know what success means to you. I, I dreamed, I dreamed when I was younger let me give you another definition before I tell you. Success, the attainment of fame, wealth, or social status, the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. When I was younger, I wanted to be a rock star. I was a drummer, self-taught drummer. 
smoking the weed before I was living for Christ in the little barnyard band I was a part of, and we're playing, you know, got the James Gang, and we're learning those kind of songs, and we're playing Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath, and I had, I had dreams, and man, when you smoke about eight or nine joints, you sound better than you really are when you're playing, and I had dreams of stardom and fame, and you know, I, I really believed I was going to make it. When we did the high school talent show and our band was the one, I was like, we're on our way, baby. You see, success, success can feed your pride. Sometimes one of the worst things that it can happen is you actually achieve what your goals are. And it can happen in any stage of life. It can happen middle school, high school, college, career. Man, you talk about success. This dude is successful. Man, he's successful. Well, I was, I just fed his pride. Is this not the great Babylon, which I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Who's the man? Neb's the man, you know. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you, you throw that football down, and you're like, you know, you're in the glory moment. He's in the glory moment here, man. He's like, I was at home in my palace, contented, prosperous, things were going good. Now, look, every single one of us, every single one of us, I'm in the circle too, every one of us are susceptible to what I call the evil of pride. That's what I call the message, the evil of pride. <laughs> every one of us. John in 1 John chapter 2 tells us there are three things, three umbrellas of sin, and every sin falls underneath one. Lust of the eyes, and the Bible says the eyes of man are never satisfied. Lust of the flesh satisfying an appetite that's outside the will of God, whether it's sexual, sin, or whatever. And then the third one, that's the subject this morning, the pride of life, the pride of life. Every one of us is susceptible to it. I've given the challenge every service, so you're no different. I'm going to give you the challenge. I don't know of a scripture. I don't know of a scripture in the Bible that tells us to pray for humility. I've had some people in my church experience, and they've said things like, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I'll be a humble person? You want me to pray that you'll be a humble person? It means you're not a humble person. So if you're praying, pray that I'll become a humble person. It means there's some work to do, right? I don't know of a scripture that tells us to ask for that kind of prayer. I don't know of a scripture that tells us to pray for humility. No, the scriptures I find are like these. Say this with me. You ready? Here we go. Do you want to? Do it anyway. Okay, you ready? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. It doesn't say pray for humility. It says do it. Humble yourself. Famous verse. A lot of us will know it. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, that's very important because humility involves submission. Humility involves uh, submitting my life to God. If my life is not submitted to God, I'm not humble. Are you kidding me? No matter what I talk. Talk all you want. You can talk like a humble person, but unless your life is submitted to God, listen, that's how you resist the devil. That's how you win the battle against the devil. You got to submit to God. Humble yourselves. 
And because we're all susceptible to it, <laughs> we all need humbling experiences in life. Anybody ever had one? If you've had one, at least one, raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you've had two, raise your other hand. And listen, I can raise my toes. I can raise all my fingers. And a lot of us go, yeah, me too, man. I've had more than one. And when I was young and we all had mini bikes and I wanted my mini bike, everybody wanted to have the fastest mini bike. And I'm riding my mini bike and I'm there with all the other guys, you know, and a few girls that were around and, you know, you want to impress the guys, but you really want to impress the girls. And so I'm going down the street there in Larkfield Circle and I'm on the mini bike and all of a sudden I decide I'm going to one-up everybody and I stand up on it. And I'm riding and I... And then I thought, well, I'm just going to do this. And I did this. And then I did this. And I was like, yeah. And then I thought, I'm going to really do it. And I went like this. Yeah. Hey, you know what a redneck says just before he gets hurt? Hey, y'all, watch this. Hey, y'all, watch this. Boom. Boom! That's when everything fell. I mean, I'm telling you, I was skinned up and scraped up and bloody, and, ah, and I'm crying. I'm like, oh, man. You talk about a humbling experience. The girls were really impressed. Oh, man, what a humbling experience. And I know we could sit around all afternoon and talk about humbling experiences. Why? We need those because we're all susceptible. It can happen at any point in life. And it's a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. Now, I have another question. Why did God have to go to such an extreme measure to humble them? You're not going to like the answer. He was stubborn. I mean, he's not moved or persuaded by reason. Unyielding. Stop and think with me. If you've been with us through our study of Daniel, God gives Nebuchadnezzar a clear, undeniable revelation of the Most High God. Daniel tells him the dream he had, the first dream, and what it means. And it's a picture of human history. It's a picture of here's how history is going to play out. Kings are going to come. Kings are going to go. Kingdoms will come. Kingdoms will go. And then there's coming one, a rock cut out but not by human hands, and he will set up a kingdom that will be forever and ever and ever and ever. That's Jesus. He gives him a picture of the future. He gives him proof that the God of Israel is the most high God. He's the true God. And then he gives him the kind of human being witnesses who have faith in this God that they're willing to die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week. Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You will not bow? It is true, O king. We will not bow. We'd rather burn. Okay, then. Seven times hotter. Throws them in. And then Nam goes, didn't we throw three guys in there? Who's that fourth dude? He looks like a son of the gods. He's the son of God. And now a mighty miracle, mighty miracle, calls them out. They come back out. Not even a smell of smoke. Not a hair singed. And Neb makes the decree. Anybody speaks anything negative against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he'll be cut into pieces and his house turned into a pile of rubble. But even though he acknowledges this God, he believes in this God. He hasn't submitted his life. I want you to hear this. There are people all throughout the church. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus. 
They don't doubt Jesus came, he died, he was buried. Three days later, he rose again. They, they believe the fundamentals of the faith, but they are not saved. They're not saved. We're going to be shocked when we get to heaven and go, well, where's so-and-so? We're not here. Why are they not here? Only God is the judge. We're not the judge, but the, the Bible tells us that there's going to be some surprises, <laughs> Peter Lord told me recently when I was with him, there's three surprises in heaven. One is, I'm surprised I'm there. I'm surprised who's not there. And I'm surprised who is there. There's some people who believe all the right things, but they've never submitted their life. That's Nebuchadnezzar. You can't get a more powerful revelation of God. You can't get a more powerful witness, even miraculous things. Let me give you a scripture and tell you this scripture. John chapter 12, verse 37. John 12, 37, it says that Jesus, even though he had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. There are people like that. A couple of scriptures I thought about, I put it at the end of my message. Proverbs 27, 22, though you grind a fool in mortar, grinding them like grain with a pestle, you will not remove their folly from them. Proverbs 29.1, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Don't be, sub, don't be stubborn. Nebuchadnezzar was stubborn. And if he did just listen to advice, if he had responded to the initial witnesses that God put in his life, he would have saved himself seven years of insanity. Seven years. I stopped and thought about that again this morning before I came to the first service, and I thought, what it took for God to humble Nebuchadnezzar. And even though some people come to that point, you know, where you just lost everything, they still don't acknowledge, they still don't submit, they still won't receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And you talk about stubborn. But you could save yourself so much heartache. You could save yourself so much pain in life, so much loss, so much insanity. <laughs> if you just submit your life, but we're stubborn. Just stubborn. Man, it was stubborn. But thank God, thank God, after seven years, finally, he lifted his eyes toward heaven. He humbled himself. And as soon as you humble yourself, as soon as you humble yourself, God begins to do the work of grace. As soon as you humble yourself, at that moment, God begins to do the work of grace. At that moment, you begin to be set free. At that moment, you, your thinking starts to get right again. What a wonderful thing. What a gracious God. I mean, if we were God, sometimes after you get a stubborn guy like Nebuchadnezzar, you would say, go on, the hell with you then. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? I'm so glad God doesn't do that. He's so gracious, and he puts up with us, and he allows us to just go through it. And sometimes you get stripped of everything, and that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. That's what it took. He was stripped of everything. It doesn't tell us the detail. He was probably married. He probably had kids. And now he's living out in the woods. He's homeless. And he's insane. And he spent seven years like that. And finally, after seven years, he humbled himself. Now, how are you going to escape the evil of pride? Because it's after all of us. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I think I'm talking to some people this weekend and you know all about God and you believe in Jesus Christ, but you've never submitted your life. Wife came up to me after one of the service in tears and said, you just, you just described my husband to a T. 
grew up in the church, knows all about God, knows about Jesus, acknowledges all that, but he's not submitted, not submitted, and, and probably not saved, although God's the ultimate judge. That's the first step, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Second, acknowledge that all I am and all I have is a gift from God. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Now, if you go along with me, I won't go over time, all right? If you go along with me, I won't, I won't go over time. On the count of three, I want you to take a deep breath. One, two, three. That was a gift from God. Every breath is a gift from God. Believer and unbeliever, every breath is a gift from God. Now, do a little movement. Let's see some hands. Let's see some, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost end of the service. We're almost going to eat, yeah. That movement, that's a gift from God. In him we live and move and have our being. God reminded the Israelites, and that's why he told them, honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase, every paycheck. Every, I started doing it when I was a young Christian, 19 years old. The first fruits, and trust me on this, first fruits in the Bible is 10%. First fruits, rep, first fruits represents tithe. I'm convinced tithe is not one testament or the other testament. It's the biblical principle throughout the Bible. Started before the giving of the law. Abraham giving 10%. Jacob giving 10%. I recommend no matter what age you are, you know Christ is Lord and Savior, give 10%. No matter how much money you make, the tithe goes to God. I believe that goes through the local church that you're a part of. And every time you give the tithe, you're acknowledging, God, it's all from you. It's all from you. And here's what God reminded the Israelites on this principle. He said, when you come to the land of promise, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. That was Nebuchadnezzar's attitude. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And this principle is not just for believers. This is not just for church people. This is in the world too, whether they believe it or not. You know, God makes you the president of the company. God enables you the ability, you know, to do what you do. It's God that gave you that ability. Don't ever forget it. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I am, it's all because of him. And last but not least, and this is the biggie. Say it with me. You ready? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Listen, you catch the touchdown pass, bow a knee, or at least point toward heaven. You throw the touchdown pass, bow the knee, or at least point toward heaven. They interview you after the game. I challenge you to be bold, not arrogant, not arrogant. We don't want to go be going around and always be saying, praise the Lord, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. They'll think you're a nut but do it in appropriate times, in the appropriate way. And so when they interview you, I challenge you. First of all, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without him, I wouldn't have any of this ability. You say, they may kick me off the team. Are you willing to go into the fiery furnace? You want to see God do a miracle through your life? Then be willing to, throw in, be willing to go into the furnace for Jesus. When you become that successful person, don't you ever give the impression that it's you. You always give glory to God. Every time you sit down for a meal, you ought to at least bow your head for a moment or lift your eyes to heaven. You don't always have to close your eyes to pray. Jesus, before he multiplied the bread and fish, he said he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. You ought to give thanks. 
whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You've been listening to The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship with Pastor Danny. Sometimes life circumstances hit hard and they can leave us wondering where God is. But rest assured, the Lord never leaves or forsakes and usually His plans are better than ours. Daniel's life is proof of that. Are you facing an unexpected or frustrating situation today? There's strength in lifting one another up in prayer and we would be honored to do that for you send us an email at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. Would you also pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and our ideas second. His guidance is what we need. Would you pray that we'd recognize His voice always? Thanks for praying. Do you live in or near St. Petersburg? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. We gather on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you join us for our time of worship. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to hear another message from Scripture right here on The Living Word.